0: Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, hey, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. And before we get stuck in on this episode, I just want to take this opportunity once again just to say thank you so much for pressing that play button. This episode is really aimed at marketing. It's aimed at a very specific type of marketing and actually something that is constantly changing, is always on the minds of small to medium-sized business owners or marketing managers, and it's something that really gets people in a tangle, and it is because of that ever-changing nature. It's something that has had an industry thrown up around it. It's something that everyone is aware of. So today we're going to talk about search marketing and we are also going to digress into inbound marketing as well. And we're going to challenge the issue of the future of search marketing. What's next? You know, we've all seen search optimization in the past. We've all perhaps dabbled with it. We've experimented with it through outside agents. But actually, where is it going? What do you need to do to prepare for the future? And I am so honoured this week to welcome to the show someone that I've long admired, someone whose work I've followed probably for the last 10 years, the foremost authority on search marketing and one of the world's most respected experts on inbound marketing, Mr. Rand Fishkin from Moz.com. Welcome, sir.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark. I'm looking forward to it.
0: It's such a, a fascinating topic as well, isn't it, Rand? It's something that is changing and adapting all of the time. And obviously you guys are at the forefront of it. Is that something that's continuing? Is that trend not changing? Is it just not slowing down?
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. I think of I think of SEO and of of web marketing overall, and certainly the inbound marketing side of things as being very dynamic. But I think there's an interesting sub point that you could make around these practices that if you get things right your strategy and if you if you think about the processes that you use and future uh, uh, um, align them towards the future you actually can build something that can last for many years without a whole lot of modification
0: and that's a really interesting point actually Run, because there's you know being in digital marketing myself you know we work at a at a at a sort of local to national level in the UK on this kind of project. And actually there are two types of people that come through our doors as well. There are the people that want the long term and there are the yes. people that want the fix and invariably it's the people that want the long term that actually do so much better and as you say they don't really have to tweak what they're doing. Is that in terms of the community that you've got over at moz.com is that a, a general trend you know are people starting to look towards this longer term strategy or Is it in fact something that they've always tried to do?
1: Yeah, I think Moz has, as a community, always been focused on thinking long-term, not biasing to kind of the short-term tips and tricks that could get you into trouble, particularly with Google, but even with the social networks. Um, And and generally speaking, not abusing the uh, short-term opportunities that are created by um, algorithms or networks that haven't quite caught up to uh, the latest, you know, black hat, gray hat mayhem, um, and and that's been that's been something that we've always focused on. But it, it's also interesting because I think that stuff has become tremendously harder. The opportunities in spam have become much less, um, and the benefit for getting you know these long term things right for making those kinds of investments has grown dramatically so i'm i'm pretty par- proud uh, in particular of of what google and bing have done around this along with what facebook and twitter linkedin google plus all, all of these social networks uh, have been doing even pinterest has made some some big gains recently shutting down a lot of the spam bots that were crawling that site um, so i think trending towards the long term thinking about that is what can build you a sustainable business model, which isn't to say that this industry doesn't change all the time and that if you are an early adopter, that there's not opportunity, there is. But it's also not something where every morning you need to wake up in a
0: panic. I think that's really important to remember, that whole, you know, the idea that if you build your business on these kind of practices, this long-term strategic mindset, as you say, you don't have to wake up were being worried about being slapped by a Google penalty or you know some kind of rankings drop, which actually can really, really affect your bottom line. So I think that idea is really, really vital to so many business owners out there, regardless of the size of business. And I'd just like to dip in for a moment, Rand, and look at the, I guess, the state of search marketing in particular now versus perhaps what it was five or 10 years ago. What have been the big changes within that space?
1: Um, well, we've seen a number of very big changes. I think one of the biggest, most powerful um, and most daunting is the loss of a lot of kinds of data that historically have been extremely important to the practice. Uh, the biggest one being keyword not provided. So I think that you know that sort of started, what was that, three, four years ago and became a, a dramatically harder problem two years ago when when Google essentially took us to... You know, 95% of keyword referrals come without referral data. And so uh, it's almost impossible to know what searchers were looking for exactly when they came to your website, which has really harmed user experience. It's harmed uh, marketers and and site owners' ability to craft their content and improve their content and, and help searchers. And we've had to work a lot harder to get that data um, and reverse engineer our way into it by looking at landing pages or by using tools to estimate things based on you know crawling Google and looking at their rankings. Um, that's uh, that's been a real <laughs> a real pain, and I think a, a big challenge. Another um, another huge change certainly has been that uh, search engine algorithms, Google in particular, being a little less so, but but certainly strongly too, have been. Uh, not so gradually, but but fairly quickly compared to the decade before, uh, evolving their algorithms to take the focus off of purely um, what I'd call link building related activities and looking more holistically at a site's uh, topical authority, looking at uh, content, looking at user interaction and engagement. and doing lots more sophisticated kinds of analyses uh, on text and content, as well as uh, user experience type of stuff, right? Web page speed, uh, now the new um, mobile friendliness as a ranking factor. So I think we're, we're seeing a lot of shift there as opposed to the old days of get as many links with the exact anchor text of the word you want to rank for. Um, that's, that's certainly shifted
0: too. And I guess on that note, is it fair to say that, you know, as a website owner, as a small business or a medium-sized enterprise running a website, is it fair to say that, you know, Google is, and, and obviously Bing as well, they are starting to put the focus on making sure that the users of your website get the best experience from that website. You know, that's much more of a factor now than it was before, isn't it?
1: Mostly, I mostly agree with that statement. Um, and, and I think it's certainly something that they're uh, tweaking their algorithms toward. I am I am skeptical of some of the implementations and how they've executed on that though. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Google has this program called uh, Instant Answers or, or or Knowledge Graph, right, where you search for um, a mortgage calculator now and they'll give you an actual mortgage calculator right in the search results. You don't need to click on anyone else's site to get there. Um, and and perform that. Or you search for, um, you know, Seattle to SFO flights, and they've got a, a built-in flight search aggregation machine, or you search for weather or a sports score, right? And they give you all of this data right in the search results. So you never have to actually click on anyone's site and load anything else. And I, I would say probably for 30 to 40% of those queries, they do a really fantastic job, right? It's just, it's a great experience. It uh, saves me from having to make a click, which is particularly nice on mobile because pages load slow sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd say on 60 to 70% of those queries, they are doing some really weird, uh, unexpected, and I think not particularly well thought out or positive user experience stuff. Um, one of my favorite examples is if you if you search for something like uh, how much money does Google make, or how much money did Google make last year? There's a, a blog post from Moz where they've actually extracted text content and uh, and made it the answer that they put at the top. So you know, okay, I'm a little frustrated because they they took away the visitor traffic that we might have gotten for that search, but it's it's not too relevant to what we're doing, and you know we probably weren't going to convert many of those people anyway, so that's fine but the big problem I have is that they extracted the text two or three years ago. And so the number that they've got in there for the answer is, you know, three years old at this point. Uh, We updated it a year and a half ago and they took more than nine months to update their answer. And now both of those are wrong again. (laughs) So, and I see that time and time again, right? Just, of older information or information that is subjective and not necessarily helpful, um, or you know, lists of stuff that they've extracted from a page that look uh, sketchy at best, um, and then they're presenting those as you know, knowledge graph as answers. Uh, that that worries me. I think that hurts user experience.
0: Yeah, it's something that a lot of customers and clients and businesses are, are, are starting to talk about on the whole, whether it's at a grassroots networking event or, as you say, across the blogosphere or wherever that might be, you know, people are starting, to, are starting to talk more and more about this kind of experience that they're having with Google. And you know, a lot of the time, especially at the grassroots level, the conversations that you hear are that, well, Google are trying to do it all, which yeah. from the perspective of a website owner, as you so rightly pointed out there, it can be so frustrating because at the lower level, you know, website traffic. Well, of course, at any level, website traffic is so important, but particularly at the lower level, where you yeah. are tracking every single click because each one could be a conversion, that must be so difficult for people. And how how is the community generally, the Moz community, kind of approaching this? Is it a similar outlook to what you and I have just discussed?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think there's um, there's skepticism, there's fear, certainly anger, um, distrust, and Uh, I think a perception that Google, the company, has become, you know, a a corporation beholden to shareholders, not a um, group of remarkably talented engineers devoted to making a better web. And, And for, I would say, you know, for the first 10 to 12 years of Google's existence, that was how you know, not just the the marketing community, the web community viewed them, but I think how the general public viewed them, and the changes that they've been making the last few years. Some of the changes, I should clarify, because they have made some really positive ones too. But some of the changes that they've made uh, over the last five six years have really, I think, threatened their credibility more broadly, um, and that's you know. That's for them to figure out and decide if they want to make those sacrifices and, and who they want to be as a company.
0: And that's something actually I just want to digress into for a moment is the, the algorithm changes, the kind of continual tweaks and the continual updates that Google makes to those algorithms that determine the rankings. As a website owner and as a small to medium enterprise, what are some of the things that in the past they may have got away with that Google are actually now clamping down on, and actually have been clamping down on for the last two or three years? What are some of the reasons that people's site might actually drop in the rankings?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably the, one of the most common and most, um, most dangerous has been, a, a, something search marketers have invested in for a long time, which is link building, right? So, um, growing the link profile of your site, having, having other sites on the web link to you, has almost always been a positive thing and up until, 20, I think it was 2012, uh, even if you got bad links pointing to your site, unless it was you know, an insanely tremendous quantity and your site was kind of crappy and it was clearly, you know, you were just spam, uh, Google would discount the spammy links, right? So they wouldn't help you, but they also wouldn't hurt you. Uh, and then they would count the good ones. And so, you know, hey, if, uh, if a site owner went out and, and uh, did a search like link building directories and then got themselves listed in all these, uh, all these link building directories, which you know, a lot of them are spammy, right? Then probably the vast, vast majority of things that, uh, you know, you pay to list your site or you submit your site to, a lot of those are very spammy. So site owners would do this. Google would discount the the spammy ones. They'd count the actually good ones. Everyone's pretty much in good shape. Uh, 2012 comes around and they really shift stance on that, right? The uh, the launch of the Penguin algorithm and some of the other spam algorithms that they've been doing have meant that now, if you get those links, you can be in deep trouble very quickly and for a long time, right? Uh, There's a whole industry in the SEO world of just penalty recovery. Helping people, you know, contact the sites that they got bad links from, trying to get them removed, sending reconsideration requests to Google, using all of the link information databases out there, including including Moz's, but also Google's own and Ahrefs and Majestic and this kind of thing, and and just jumping through hoops for months and sometimes years to try and get a site out of Google's penalty box and back in the search results. That is nightmarish, and it is Kafka esque. In terms of the process, um, you know, I've I've seen and experienced plenty of these, heard just nightmarish stories. Uh, it is a really tough and frustrating world, and Google doesn't have anything like the um, the human staff at their webmaster tools department to handle the number of requests, the number of people who are getting penalized, um, and the people who are trying to spam recover. So it, that is a very very hard thing, and I would I would say. If you're a business owner, if you're a website owner, I'd be very cautious about all the links that you get. Make sure that they are truly editorial, um, that the intent behind them and that the website behind them is trustworthy, um, uh, that it's a site you would actually visit, that uh, the endorsement is coming because they intended to recommend you, not because you paid them.
0: Um,
1: It's it's, it's a scary world out in link building land these days.
0: I mean, the link building side of things has gotten so much press. You know, there's so many, as you say, so many websites out there that have been penalized. And what you don't want to do is go through that process because it does sound like such a nightmare, which leads me on. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to add that one of the things I think that really concerns me is that the press typically focuses on the biggest websites that get penalized, right? So JC Penney gets penalized or BMW Germany gets penalized or Google penalized one of their own sites, right? Those kinds of things. Those get a lot of press, but they also recover in a matter of weeks. That, that's not what's going to happen to small business websites. And I think, unfortunately, the press biases folks to think, oh, okay, they got penalized. They were out of Google for a few weeks or a month. I, I can afford that, right? If, if something bad happens, I can afford to be out of Google for a few weeks. If, unless you're a huge brand that's known worldwide, right, that's, that's very popular, you're going to be out of Google for many months and maybe years. So I, I think I'm a little worried about how the press has covered these types of penalties um, and the bias towards the big ones.
0: That's a really, really interesting point, actually, because we have all heard the tales of JC Penney and and Germany. And that actually, I didn't realize quite myself that that amount of time could pass. And as you say, to a small business, especially either a business that is so hyper local or is very specific in its niche and what it supplies. I mean, that is enough to put a business under, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And I, I, I have seen, uh, hundreds, maybe even thousands of businesses go under websites, go under from, uh, Google penalties, right? People essentially either start over an entirely brand new site or go do something else
0: with their life. Um, Pretty tough. Yeah. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And actually, that leads me quite nicely onto the idea that you know the old style of link building. Well, those days are gone, and it's very much around content. It's very much around editorial and providing value to the people out there. And that leads me nicely onto the inbound marketing movement. You know, inbound marketing—the term itself was coined a few years ago by the founder of HubSpot, I believe. And it's—it's it's something that so many people. And now starting to come around to even small businesses now jumping onto that kind of idea that, look, it's all about putting content out there and bringing the customers and the visitors in. What does that landscape look like, Ran? What is inbound marketing, especially for a small to medium business?
1: Well, the idea with inbound marketing is essentially that uh, you create these beautiful flywheel type effects in your uh, organic web marketing practices, right? So SEO is a pretty good example of this but it it, it extends to social media marketing it extends to emails um, and building up an email list or a newsletter uh, it extends into content marketing right um, and blogging uh, all of these kinds of non-paid activities that you might do on the web and the beautiful thing is let's uh, let's use Twitter as an example because it's a, it's a relatively simplistic one so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a blog post, my, my very first blog post, and I'm going to share it on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I only have a very small following because I'm just starting out. I'm new. So it only reaches a few folks. But, but if that blog post is really something special, something unique, not just high quality, but I can't get that information in that fashion anywhere else on the web. Um, and it, it really resonates emotionally with my audience suddenly other people are amplifying it, right? They're retweeting it and sharing it and I get a few more followers. And now the next time I publish a blog post, when I go and amplify that on Twitter, my audience is a little bit bigger, right? And hopefully all sorts of other positive things have happened, like uh, because more people have visited my site, maybe a few of them have linked to me. And that means the next time I produce a blog post, that post has a little bit of a Uh, Better opportunity to rank well in search engines and hopefully more people have subscribed to my email newsletter or signed up to receive blog posts via email And so the audience for my posts is a little bit bigger and that grows and grows and grows the first few turns of that flywheel Right the first six months to two years. It's gonna be really hard I'm gonna struggle to get you know a few dozen a few hundred people there, but if I'm successful and I keep pushing that flywheel, it's going to get easier and easier to turn nowadays you know i I like to say um, it, it's totally cheating right i have a I have a button on moz's website that I can use to rank number one for pretty much whatever I want, and that button is called publish and the reason that it works so well is because Moz has built up this great domain authority and topical authority in its space. It has a huge audience that you know pays attention to stuff if we put out something high quality and positive and uh, uh, useful to our community. People are going to link to it. They're going to share it. They're going to read and engage with it. Um, All the signals that Google is looking for to rank something well. And so, you know, that flywheel process is is pretty amazing.
0: And I think it's so powerful. I mean, so many people are looking to this and looking to create unique, voices for themselves you know in the medium of podcasting or video marketing or as you say publishing blog posts and infographics and just giving value to people and building that audience but it really is about that consistency isn't it you know the idea that the first six months to two years is just hard work you know that is something that a lot of small business owners and medium medium enterprises really really need to get their head around especially when they consider that actually they could have gone and thrown 2,000 links at a website five, six (laughs) years ago. It's a totally different mindset, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think um, if you think about SEO or inbound marketing the way you thought about it a decade ago, uh, you're probably going to sink, right? Because it's just those those tactics, that short-term stuff, um, just doesn't work effectively uh, and doesn't work in the long term anymore
0: which is a beautiful segue into the famous excellence expected actionable takeaways section. So Rand, I know you've spent some time putting together three actionable tips for the listeners out there with regard to search marketing. So let's just dig into that first tip, please. sir.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, one of the biggest and most important things that hasn't changed all that much, uh, in search marketing is keyword research, right? It's critically important that you, uh, figure out the terms and phrases that your audience is using to find you or the information that you provide. Uh, and hopefully you can learn lots of new things as you're doing keyword research around what that audience wants. But historically, everyone has always used the, uh, the Google AdWords keyword tool, which is now called Keyword Planner. Um, and that tool is still good. It's still sort of the gold, gold standard and, and I would urge you to start with it. However, be very aware that the Keyword Planner hides many keywords with a lot of search volume. And the reason it does this is because AdWords Keyword Planner is focused on commercial intent keywords. Only the terms and phrases that AdWords thinks, right, That Google's algorithm behind AdWords thinks people will actually convert, right? They'll buy something after searching for that uh, term or phrase. but as content marketers, as inbound marketers, as SEOs, we're very interested in a lot of phrases that people search for that don't necessarily convert right away, right? We want people earlier in the funnel or in the middle of the funnel or uh, just exploring the, the field. And so my tip is to, for, along with AdWords data, I would also use uh, search suggest and related searches data. So if you perform a, a search query in Google, you'll notice that at the very bottom of the page, there's a list of related searches to the term that you enter. And many times those related searches are not terms and phrases you could find in AdWords. And the same thing is true with Search Suggest, right? You'd start typing in uh, uh, Google search box and you know it drops down and suggests a bunch of things for you. Those terms and phrases also are very frequently not found inside AdWords. And so I'd use both of those sources to expand your keyword list, uh, and your keyword
0: research. What a really powerful way to, to enhance your keyword research. You know, the keyword research is something that a lot of people certainly struggle with, isn't it? Because it's not an easy task. It's, you, it's, are you doing it right? Are you doing it wrong? What do I focus on? And those two I suppose I'd call them hacks if you like, you know, two ways to power up that keyword research are really, really interesting. I can see myself actually using those for researching blog posts or audio content. So I find that really, really, really interesting. And the second tip, sir. Uh,
1: There was one more thing I was going to add, Mark, Mm. to that first tip, which is you should uh, check out a tool called keywordtool.io. Keywordtool.io provides sort of automated suggestions based on Google search suggest. Uh, so, you know, you can enter a keyword there, they'll give you a nice list so that can help save you a bunch of time and, uh, and energy doing it manually with Google as well. Uh, yeah. So my second tip, uh, in, in your, uh, efforts for, um, uh, outreach, right? Trying to reach potential influencers, um, and, uh, Talk to folks who email them, tweet at them, uh, send them a message on Facebook, drop them a line via LinkedIn, whatever it is, right? In your efforts to do that, uh, very frequently, marketers of all kinds will focus all their energy on the top five or 10 influencers in their space, right? They'll say like, gosh, if I could only get, uh, you know, I'm in, I don't know, astronomy and I really, I want to get Neil deGrasse Tyson to retweet me or to share this thing. Well, okay. Um, yeah, I want that too. <laughs> but, but, you know, these dreams are hard to come by. And, and what I urge folks to do is just take the focus off the top five, top 10 influencers in a space and, and move down that list, right? Let's say you're using, um, I don't know, a tool like Follower Wonk, which is something I use a lot. Moz um, bought that company a few years ago and, and I, I fell in love with that tool. And so I'll scroll, you know, I'll search for people who are authoritative in astronomy or in outer space or whatever. And I'll scroll down that list until I get to people who have, you know, tens of thousands or thousands of followers instead of hundreds of thousands. And when I reach out to those people, when I see marketers reaching out to those people, they respond, they react, they're flattered. They want to engage with you, right? They're not at the top of their field. They're not, you know, the top four or five folks in that that world, but they're much more responsive, much more likely to help you uh, give input, uh, contribute to a piece for you, those kinds of things. So uh, you can apply that logic in everything from um, the top influencers on Twitter to uh, the the websites that you find at the top of Google and scrolling down that list to make connections um, to uh, the LinkedIn accounts or the Pinterest accounts or the Instagram accounts that might share your visual content those kinds of things.
0: That's really, really interesting as well, because you're digging a little deeper, aren't you? You're still still picking out people that can add massive value and that you can actually connect with. But I love the idea that they are just more accessible. It's something that is kind of common sense, but I would never actually think of doing. I think that's such a a useful tip for people that are so bogged down, you know, and that perhaps can't see the gap between where they are and the right at the top of the tree, you know, that gap that is there. All of that's yeah. accessible, isn't it? Which is it's vital. I think then that's fantastic. And the third and final tip, please, sir.
1: Yeah. So third and final tip: Google announced last week that they would be making a change April twenty first uh, to their ranking algorithm, uh, what they called a significant change. Which don't get me wrong, I still have some skepticism about whether and how significant it's going to be. But uh, they said they would be using mobile search friendliness more strongly as a ranking input, ranking factor in their uh, algorithm overall. So even in desktop search, being not mobile friendly could potentially hurt your rankings. And as a result, I think every marketer, every website owner needs to go ahead and make sure that their site is mobile friendly in the next 45 days. Um, and one recommendation I have for that Google Webmaster Tools, if you don't have an account already, you can go to google.com slash webmasters and create an account by verifying your site ownership. Uh, you can go into your Google Webmaster Tools account and you can see how Google has marked your pages as mobile friendly or not. Uh, and you can see the recommendations that they have. Some of those are around speed. Some of those are around uh, responsiveness of design, those kinds of things. but. Um, I would say go do that, go do it soon, and get it fixed in the next 45 days.
0: Perfect. I love that. I saw the announcement last week myself, and, and the kind of mobile-friendly side of things has been creeping into the, the, the search engine results, hasn't it, as well? You can start yeah. to see whether something's mobile-friendly or not.
1: Yeah, they've got the label on there when you're searching on your mobile device and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so probably relatively important.
0: Absolutely. I love it. Well, Rand, thank you so, so much. That's been such an insightful chat. And just before we wrap it up, what I'd like to do is just give you an opportunity to tell the listeners where they can connect with you online, sir.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, I blog at moz.com slash Rand. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Randfish
0: super stuff. A huge, huge thanks to Rand for joining me today. And as ever, thanks to you guys for checking in with Excellence Expected. Don't forget that everything that myself and Rand have spoken about will be available in the show notes at excellence-expected.com. And whilst you're over there, you can always pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. Thank you once again to Rand. Thank you once again to you guys. And don't forget... The more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.